Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're going to jump in. We have a video uh, before we're going to hear Pastor Eric preach. And yeah, just want to encourage you guys to lean in. Every time I look into my wife's eyes, I think, is this it? Every day we fall in love more and more. With who she used to be. Someone told us once, never go to bed angry. So I just sort of store my anger inside. I may not have found the right person yet, but I'm having a pretty good time with all the wrong ones. I guess you could say the sex is efficient. I guess I have a certain type, and apparently it's the type that doesn't want to date me. The sex is great. Twice a year. I'm deeply in love with everything about her body. I thought I was supposed to have more sex when I got married. Now she falls asleep before I can put the moves on. If it hadn't have been for my marriage, I might have gone through my whole life without realizing my flaws. Every single flaw. Oh, man. All right, show of hands, because we had a disagreement beforehand. Um, how many of you think that's a, that video is a little risque? Okay, I'm the only one in the room. Good, good to hear, all right? Because I was like, I don't know if we should play that or not. And they're like, it's not that bad. I was like, okay, okay good. All right, uh, well, again, welcome to Mosaic. So glad that you're here. We are in this series called Meant to Be, looking at singleness, marriage, uh, sex is what God has to say about that. And it's also part of our journey through the book of Genesis that we've been doing uh, for the last several months. But a few months ago, I was at the movie theater with my kids. I love going to the movies uh, with my kids. It's a fun activity. And so we're there, get our snacks. You know, for me, it's like, hey, you know, one large popcorn, one large soda, because dad's cheap. So we're all going to share, right? And so we got the large popcorn, got the large soda. And I've got this soda cup, and I'm, I'm filling it up. And you ever, like, realize something? Like, when you look down and you realize this cup is so large that I've got time to like think about my life choices while it's filling up, right? It's just like, man, that's a big cup. And I'm thinking through like, wow, you know what? I need to work on my health. Like this is probably not the healthiest decision. You know, church planning, parenting can be tough. Uh, you start gaining weights, all that stuff. And so I'm thinking through as I'm watching the soda kind of slowly fill up. And, and while I'm doing that, I start to kind of fantasize in my mind, like, all the conversations I'm going to have, like, after I've lost the weight. Have you ever done that? Like, you know, just tell people, hey, you know, it's, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, right? And, like, you're thinking, like, how great it's going to be while I'm filling up this soda cup, right? I look back, and it's still filling up. And, and you think, okay, I got to make some changes in my life. Uh, not today, clearly, because I got the soda and, and the popcorn, but someday I'm going to make some changes. But making change is hard, right? Like, it takes persistence uh, to do the thing that you want, to hit those goals that you want. Now, something I've learned is that progress is way more important than perfection, that we need to stick with it, that, that persistence to stick with that thing that we want. Now, personally, 
Uh, since that moment, about six months ago, I have not been perfect in my health. I'm going to eat some pizza later tonight, and that's okay. Progress over perfection. Now, I've lost 20 pounds in the last six months, which, hey, thank you. About halfway there to what I weighed before we planted the church. Uh, thank you, church planting and mosaic, uh, the stress of all that. But again, it's about progress, not perfection. You know, in those last six months, I can tell you that, you know, I haven't gotten more than three days in a row without a workout. You know, I'm much more aware of what I am putting in my body. You know, like today, I'm choosing, hey, the one thing I'm going to eat today is the pizza later tonight, because I know that's coming. You know, I've only been eating, like, healthy the rest of the day. And it's like, so you make these choices, right? You become a little bit more aware, and you say, hey, I'm taking one more step towards this. And it's progress over perfection. That's the power of persistence. And that's what we want to talk about this evening. What is that thing in your life? Maybe it's in an area of your physical, maybe it's your spiritual, your social, your mental life. What's that thing that you're like, hey, I need to be more persistent in this thing? I think we all have that. Would you like a deeper, more robust spiritual life? Got to have a great coffee this week with a lady in our church and just, hey, what can I do to grow my spiritual walk? And so we had a good conversation about the Green Book, about some other things, right? Maybe that's your thing. If you're married, would you like a deeper more intimate connection with your spouse, right? It's just so easy to drift apart. Naturally, things and people drift apart. If you have kids, would you like more patience with your kids, more understanding? Would you like to know how to lead your kids spiritually and how to actually disciple your kids to be intentional that they are going to walk with Jesus? Do you have a passion? You want to see your nieces and nephews walking with Jesus, you know, thriving in life, I think we all have some kind of deep desires, and my hope is that Jesus is going to speak to those deep desires tonight. Well, for those who are married, I believe there's no greater way for a Christian spouse to serve one another, which is one of our big three, we want to serve one another, than to help each other grow spiritually. And this isn't always easy for married couples to do this, but it's, it's one of the best ways we can serve each other is by helping each other grow spiritually. This means encouraging each other to participate actively in church, in Christian community. It means reading and digesting Christian books together, as well as studying the Bible together. And we've talked about this before, but this is going to bring us to what, what I've referred to as the kind of special sauce in marriage. And here's something that I think, really, if you've not done this in your marriage, it can make a big impact. And even though it's uncomfortable, I think there's nothing more powerful that will help your marriage than what we're going to talk about today. If you start doing this, it's going to surface so much in your life, even some of your own arrogance, uh, and it's really going to help your relationships. And here's the thing. You can write this down if you're taking notes. It's to pray together out loud on a regular basis. It's to pray together out loud on a regular basis. And again, progress over perfection in this. I'm talking about the awkward, I'm not good at this kind of praying together, just you and the love of your life looking at each other and saying, let's pray together out loud. And I believe that that's going to make a big difference as we continue to be persistent in this. I can tell you personally, Chris and I have had seasons where we've been better at this and seasons where we have not been good at this, right? And so when you realize, man, we have not been great at this, what do we need to do to be persistent in our prayer lives well, let's dive into Genesis. Again, we've been walking through the book of Genesis since last October, and now we find ourselves again in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. 
Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. We talked about this last week, right? Looking for love in all the right places. Isaac's 40 years old and finally gets some help to get a wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So they get married, they're 40 years old, and again, there's been this promise to Abraham that through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. And he has to wait 25 years from the time of that promise to the fulfillment of that promise. But it can't stop there. And so again, Isaac's 40. Abraham's getting a little nervous. Is Isaac going to get married? Is he going to have kids? So Isaac finally gets a wife. You know, year one goes by. No kids. Year two goes by. No kids. Year five goes by. No kids. Year 10 goes by. Again, here's what we need to pay attention to, because it'd be so easy to skip over this, is that between this line and the next line in Genesis is a 20-year gap. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your physical Bibles if you can. That's so easy to miss. It says, and then the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But again, so easy to just, because look at that. There's like really no evidence that there's a 20-year gap in there it, 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 when you first read it, it feels like Isaac prayed for his wife, and boom, she conceived. But here, verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Wilder, I mean Esau. <laughs> yeah, right? Just like Wilder. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Again, He's 40 years old when they get married, 60 years old when he becomes a dad. 20-year gap. And this is why when we're reading God's Word, like we got to pay attention, slow down enough to catch this kind of stuff. Because it doesn't say it took 20 years for the promise to come true. Like, I think we all know about Abraham and, and Sarah's waiting like 25 years. This is almost as long. This is 20 years. That's a long, long time. And I believe Genesis is implying, because it goes from one verse to the next, I believe Isaac prayed for Rebekah for that 20 years to conceive. And I believe they came together and prayed and asked God together. So we're going to talk about this, praying together with your spouse. And if there's something within you that resists that, I hope you can pay attention to kind of what's going on inside. See, a bunch of studies have been done on this. But among Christian couples, among where I read this, was that only about 8% pray out loud together. So it's kind of like, Eric, why are you, why are you talking about this? Well, statistically, 92% of us don't do this who are Christians. Only about 8% do. So if, if, if you do this on a regular basis with your spouse, give yourself a gold star. You're an A-plus student, right? You're in that top 8%. But for 92% of us, we don't do this on a regular basis. And here's how important it is, is that... It's not just that this might help strengthen your, your uh, marriage or that it's supposed to. The numbers don't lie. There's been studies on this. Now, here's what Dr. Phil says about this. I've never watched an episode of Dr. Phil, but if you quote famous people, it gives you more credibility. I read that. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said that on the internet, I believe. Uh, here's what Dr. Phil writes in his best-selling book, Relationship Rescue. An interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America sits at minimum one out of two marriages. Again, we've heard that, about half of... Marriages end in divorce, the other half end in death, right? That's kind of your, your statistics. 
you know, about a one out of two chance that your marriage is going to end in divorce. Again, I don't think we talk about that enough. Like, if I had a one out of two chance of getting attacked by a bear between walking out of here and my car, you better believe I'd be taking some steps to divorce, you know, to, to make sure I'm not going to hit by a bear, right, or attack by a bear. But in our marriages, like, how much work are we doing to divorce-proof our marriages when statistically one out of two end in divorce? But here's what he says. He says, but the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. That's an insane statistic. Like, never in the history of publishing has anyone given a statistic that says, if you do this, you're most likely to have this. It's like one in 10,000 that if you pray together, it's a great way to divorce-proof, almost guaranteed, your marriage. That really the couple that prays together stays together. Or you have a really, really good shot, a 99.9% chance of staying together. Again, this, maybe this isn't groundbreaking for some of you, but it can be life-changing and marriage-revolutionizing. And I hope, again, it's just a reminder for you to start doing this. Like, full transparency. I knew I was preaching on this, and this week... I made sure to pray with Kristen more often uh, in bed at night. And she's like, really? Like, yeah, no, I did try. Because I was like, I got, I'm preaching this. Okay, this, see? Can I get a witness? Thank you, yeah. It's like, I'm preaching on this. Oh, boy, I have not been great at this, right? All of us, we've got to get persistent in this. So again, Isaac, he prays for Rebecca, I believe, for 20 years, persistent in this. I want to jump now to the New Testament, to Luke 18, if you have your Bibles. You can, but we're going to see that the big idea Jesus says when he's talking about prayer is that persistence pays off. That's the title of my message, that persistence pays off. For the last couple of years, I've had the privilege of being a baseball coach for my son Joshua. And it's such a privilege, just honestly. My dad, amazing dad, he's right now at theater doing their thing, uh, performance. Um, I knew he loved me, but because of his work schedule, he sold new home construction. His average work day was 11 a.m. to about 8 p.m., and he worked every Saturday and Sunday of my whole life until just like a year ago. And so what that meant was that he worked every single Saturday and Sunday of my lifetime and every single evening. So usually he was around for bedtime, but what that meant is he never had a chance to coach any of my teams didn't get to go to many of my games. I played baseball, soccer, wrestling, um, was in, in a lot of things. Now, he got to go to a lot of my band concerts because a lot of those started later at night, you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m. shows. And so he'd get off work and be able to go to those. So I've made this commitment, man, I, I want to be there for, for my kids whenever possible, helping coach, uh, head coach, assistant coach, uh, their teams, or just to be involved in their lives because something I didn't have that chance. And so I want to rearrange my life as much as possible. And so I've got this chance now for about four years to coach Josh's baseball teams, and, uh, and especially these last two years, being the head coach at Heritage Christian Academy for their middle school team. It's been a great experience. Last year, I had 11 kids on my team, uh, and uh, I kind of inherited a program that was not doing the greatest. I had zero eighth graders. I had um, one seventh grader. The rest were sixth graders. This year, we have 20 kids on the team, uh, two eighth graders, about 10 uh, seventh graders, and a number of sixth graders. Uh, ultimately by God's help, being able to create a really healthy culture that more and more kids want to be a part of it. So now we're like, we're kind of maxed out, number of 20 kids. But one thing that I've learned is that persistence really does pay off. If you're investing in kids as a coach, do you have to be persistent to help? You're going to hit those, those, some of those basics, right? Those fundamentals again and again and again. You're going to keep pitching to them. You're going to keep coaching them. Some of those things. And as you persistently encourage the kids, as you try to build a healthy 
for me, a coaching baseball culture, that's going to pay off in the end. And I think in every area of our life, we need persistence, and persistence is going to pay off. If you want a good marriage, you need some persistence. If you want to be a good parent or uncle or aunt, you're going to need to learn some persistence. If you want to do ministry in any way, you got to learn persistence. For those of you who've started uh, companies or, or anything like that, if you want to start a new business, you're going to have to learn some persistence. If you want to lead anything, you have to learn some persistence. And here's what Jesus says about that in Matthew 18, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. I'm reading this out of the NLT tonight. He said, you should always pray and never give up. And he tells a story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God. I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. So what Jesus says, teach them about prayer. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? All right, let's dive into this a little bit. In this story, we have two main characters, the widow and the judge. You have a man, you have a woman. The man is in a position of power. The woman is powerless. The man is prosperous. The woman is penniless. The man as a judge was in a position of authority. The woman was in a very humble and vulnerable position. Again, you have to understand in this day and age, in Jesus' culture, women really were second-class citizens. It was very uncommon for women to actually even be able to own property. It's possible, but not very common. What that meant was that if a woman's husband died before her, which is in this case, she's a widow, there could be complications from her being able to retain all the assets or the land that her husband owned as an inheritance. As a result, many widows were taken advantage of, they were ripped off, and they were not given justice in their legal system. This is why in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible is very clear to say that God's people are to love and care for widows and single moms. Amen? And that's what Mosaic, right? We want to help take care of widows, single moms, those uh, who the Bible says are precious to God's heart. And we see in this tale of a widow who's been wronged in some way. We don't know exactly what's happened. We don't know if she's been beaten, robbed, abused, taken advantage of. Again, maybe her husband died. We know she's a widow. Her assets are tied up in court. We're not sure how she's been wronged, but we do know she needs justice. And there's only one person who can give her justice, and it's this judge. Now, generally, there's three ways to pursue justice when you aren't getting it. Number one, you could pay off the judge. You could bribe him. Well, she's a poor widow, doesn't have the money to do this. You could, number two, you could threaten the judge. Well, she's got no power. Number three, you have to persist. You have to muster up the courage to keep marching forward in the face of adversity for the sake of justice. So that's what she's going to do. Now, we know a couple things about the judge from Jesus' story. Number one, he doesn't fear God. Number two, he doesn't respect man. And it's like, okay, Shouldn't that be the basic requirements for a judge, right? Like, respect God, like people. He's like 0 for 2 on this. Like, this is not a good person. This is a bad resume for a judge because he doesn't fear God. It means he doesn't care about the laws of God. He doesn't anticipate that someday he's going to stand before Jesus and give an account for his actions. He also doesn't care about people. 
He's the kind of guy that if you're suffering, he doesn't care. If you're victimized, he doesn't care. If you're ripped off, he doesn't care. It doesn't affect him, so why should he care? We get the idea that he's kind of heartless, kind of cold, kind of cruel. And here's this widow up against that man. But nevertheless, she persisted. And she keeps seeking justice. And eventually, he's like, that's it, fine, I'm going to give her justice. This woman is wearing her down. We get the idea that, you know, the judge wakes up and he's walking to work. And there she is right there, right? She's walking to work with him like, hey, judge, good morning. You're going to give me justice. You know, he goes out on his lunch break. And there she is like, hey, judge, you're going to give me some justice. He's hanging out at a party, barbecue in his backyard, right? His friends are there. She's there. Hey, judge, you're going to give me some justice. Like everywhere he goes, there she is, continuing to be persistent and just you know, being consistent in this. And it's, he's like, fine, I'm going to finally give in. It's like, you know, the cage fighting Grammy has got... Granny's got the judge in a chokehold, right? And he's like, I, I give up. I tap out. I got, yes, he has no fear of God, but he fears this widow. And I think that's an awesome story. All right, so what does this mean for us? Jesus tells these stories very intentional with intentional characters, the judge and the widow. Who do all of us want to identify with in this story? The widow, right? We've all been wronged. All of us are like the widow, so here's the first thing I want to ask you. Ask yourself, how am I like the judge? See, for most of us, we want to identify with the widow. We love to be victims. Because when we're a victim, it puts us in a position of power, actually. We actually have this power over people and make them feel like they owe us something. And the result is we tend to see other sin against us way more clearly and quickly than we see our sins against other people. But see, here's the thing. We're all sinners like this judge. None of us are perfect. We all fall up short. So first we should ask, how am I like the judge, really? Number one, do you fear God? This man didn't fear God. Do you fear God? Do you respect God, honor God, obey God, submit to God? Or are you like the judge saying, you know what? Honestly, God doesn't really factor into my decision making. Number two, do you truly care for people? This judge did not care about people. But do you truly care for people, not just in theory, but in practice? See, this judge sees this woman in need. She's suffering injustice, and he does nothing. He's in a position where he could bring her justice, and yet he doesn't until finally he relents. That's what's called, to use Katie's the big words, this is, it's the sin of omission. See, someone has sinned against this widow. Someone has wronged her in some way. We don't know what that is. And that's called the sin of commission. That person has done something wrong to her. The judge is committing the sin of omission. He has it in his power to love her, to serve her, to bless her, to give her justice, but he's not doing it. So what we need to ask ourselves is, who could you be helping, but you're not? Who could you be serving, but you're not? Who could you be defending, but you're not? If we open up your schedule and your bank statement, does it reveal a real care for people? If we looked at your budget, does it really show that you care for people? Or, again, to get in your business a little bit, are you like a typical person today, especially in Western America, who has an attitude of compassion but not a lifestyle of compassion? The Bible calls that hypocrisy. To say, hey, no, I really care about people, but then... Can you answer clearly, who are you helping? Well, I love him in my heart. Okay, great. Open up your wallet, open up your mouth, get your hands dirty, because love is what you do. 
Love is what you do. Again, I think in the age of social media, somehow we, we think if we put a red X on our hands and take a picture, or we do an ice bucket challenge for ALS, or we share you know, this thing online, we're actually doing something. And again, I think there's a whole movement of 30 and 20-somethings who have an attitude of wanting to help people. But when you actually explore your budget and your calendar, are you actually living that out? So first we need to ask, how am I like the judge? And again, this is uncomfortable. It's like, man, am I actually spending my time, my money, my calendar serving people? Number two, let's ask, how can I be more like the widow? And at first it's like, well, how can I be like the penniless, powerless widow? Well, let's break that down a little bit. Because I want to think through, she's not just a victim. She's strong. She's persistent. She didn't give up. What good thing is there in your life that you need to keep striving for? What good thing do you need to keep striving for? Maybe it's the restoration in your marriage. Maybe it's your adult kids coming back to knowing and loving Jesus. Maybe it's someone in your life you know who needs justice, and you need to keep striving for that thing. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in, because persistence pays off. We should all strive to be a little bit more like the woman in this story, a penniless widow who faces off against a powerful judge to fight for justice. Who or what do you need to fight for? And that thing you're fighting for, what we have to ask honestly, though, is that thing worth fighting for? Because here's the deal, too. You can't fight everything. Not everything is worth fighting for. I've known some people that are just warriors, and they just want to fight everything. It's like, just stop. You're wearing us out, right? Make sure the, what, the thing you're fighting for, the thing that you're passionate for, actually matters. So we have to prayerfully consider, what are the things I need to strive for? Jesus is worth fighting for, amen? His church is worth fighting for, amen? Justice is worth fighting for, amen? Your family is worth fighting for. Single moms, children from all backgrounds, victims of abuse, they're all worth fighting for. What things are worth fighting for? What's that one thing that holy discontent that grabs you and says, man, we need to fight that thing. What has God laid on your heart that you need to be persistent about? Again, going back to verse one of Luke 18, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show they should always pray and never give up. Ultimately, this is an invitation to persist in prayer. So I'm just gonna unpack in the time we have left together tonight on prayer because again, I know uh, this is a lot like coaching baseball. Uh, one of the unique challenges uh, of coaching, uh, particularly heritage baseball, is I've got kids on my team who've played in travel ball since they were in diapers. And then I've got boys this year, it's their very first time. And they're learning like, yeah, four balls is a walk and three strikes is a strikeout. And here's how you hold a bat. So again, in a church like ours, I understand. Some of you guys are prayer warriors. You get this. You understand this? Some of you, prayer is still a brand new thing. So we're going to cover some of the basics. And so those of you who are pros in this, Please be generous and graceful to those, the rest. And hopefully, again, as we hit some of the basics, the fundamentals, maybe it'll encourage you, you know, to get back to the fundamentals, uh, to get back into praying to God. Prayer really is just talking to God. The Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us, and prayer is the primary way we speak back to God in this conversation. Now, I fully believe the Holy Spirit is in all believers, and the Holy Spirit can give us nudges and can communicate to us and can, you know, hey, turn to the left or to the right. 
But the primary way God speaks to us is through his word. So again, you need to be in God's word daily on a regular basis. Um, progress over perfection. If you miss a day, don't miss two. Don't miss three. But prayer, again, is how you talk back to God. And you're going to have this conversation and how we grow this relationship. And just like in every relationship, we need two-way communication. God speaks to us through the scriptures. We speak to God in prayer. And some of you, I know you struggle to persist in prayer because you're like, man, prayer doesn't work. But prayer does work, even with unanswered prayers or prayers that seem unanswered. Because sometimes God says no. We don't understand why. Sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says later that now is not the right time. And it's okay to tell someone, hey, now's not the right time to ask. Can I get an amen from my wife? She's not going to give me an amen. She knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Anyways, it's okay. Because God says later sometimes it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Because God is like a parent, right? How bad would a parent be if we said yes to every single request? We'd be terrible parents. If we always said no, we'd be terrible parents. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is, hey, not right now. This isn't the right time to ask. Or you know what? I'll give you an answer later. And that's how God answers us. But we persist in prayer because sometimes we don't know the answer is later. Jesus tells elsewhere, he says to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because you never know what doors God's going to open. And sometimes when we keep asking, seeking, knocking, the work that God does is in our hearts and changes our desires, changes what we're asking for. But until we get a no, we keep persisting, we keep asking, we keep praying. Every Wednesday morning, as, as our prayer team gathers at our ministry center at 8 a.m., there are certain things we're going to continue to pray for and continue to pray for until we hear a resounding no. Uh, last week, I shared a little bit with some of the leaders here, like, like, I was really cranky and out of sorts, and I, I didn't, I was trying to figure out what was going on, and, um, and I didn't figure out until Monday, and I shared this with many of you. Uh, I was at the gym, sauna, finally figured it out. Like, uh, we had been persistently asking God to do a miracle and to save Mary Lund, Rachel's mom. And we were believing, and we were hoping, and we were praying, and for a month, every day, asking, believing, being persistent in this, and it seemed like she was getting better, and she was getting better, and they took out the breathing tube and put a tracheotomy in, and she was able to talk with Rachel. And then she took a turn, and last Saturday she died. And honestly, I just took that, and I shoved it aside. I was like, ah, whatever. But here's the thing. When you persistently ask something, and then the answer ends up being no, you have to deal with that. That's what I learned. So Jesus and I had some words on Monday. And there's some other prayers that I've been persistent about. And so far he said either no or later. And we had words. But you know what's good? He can take it. He's never angry. He's a perfect parent in that way. And so I was able to rage and just yell and then just say, hey, God, <laughs> I'm so imperfect in the fact that you still are here with me. Again, the biggest thing, I, 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 this is in my life that I'm trying to communicate the message to high school kids and adults and others is, like, like we don't follow Jesus because he, 
He says yes to all our prayers. As we follow Jesus, because as we share life with him and the goods and the bads and the hurts and the pain and all the stuff, his presence is with us. And so even when death happens and infertility happens and adult kids walking away from Jesus and we don't get it, we can rage, we can, we can, we can yell, we can say, I don't get it. But we know he's with us in it. That's why I follow Jesus, because he's with me in this. And so we persistently go to him. And there are times he says, hey, keep being persistent. Keep asking. Because sometimes our prayers move the hand of God. I got to be on staff at Eagle Brook Church, biggest church in the Midwest now, you know, 25,000 people. Many years ago, back then they were a small church of only 6,000 people. But I remember hearing the story of like, how did this church, Bob Merritt came to this church, uh, you know, like 1996 or something, and uh, they were a church of about 300 people. How did, in 25 years, 20 years, yeah, 25 years, they grow from 325,000 people? It's like, wow, that's crazy, right? So good strategies, but you know what happened? Was that the previous 30 years, there was a group of about 40 saints who would gather every Tuesday night in prayer, persistently asking revival to come, God to move in their church. Day, week after week after week, year after year after year. And, and I got to meet some of those dear saints in the early 2000s, and I'd lead worship for them, and they still had the same prayer, prayer gathering, still the same people, all gray-haired, but they were persistently asking. And for 30 years, God was like, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Now, yes, Dr. Bob Merritt, gifted preacher, leader, all this stuff, God used them. But I really believe none of that happens without the persistence of those saints praying daily. We have to be persistent. Sometimes our prayers will move the hand of God, and sometimes they'll change our hearts. Like, I've shared the story, Right? Before planted, there was a couple churches. Ugh, one of them, yeah, I was real close to being their next lead pastor. And I was praying so hard, God, this is supposed to be, I feel like this is, and, and God said, no. Now that church is shutting down, it's becoming a campus of Eaglebrook. Whatever, praise God, whatever. <laughs> eh, it's fine, it is what it is. Um, but again, God through that changed my heart. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be in Maple Grove, not Maple Wood. Supposed to be here, right? So sometimes our hearts need to be molded so we can be more like Jesus, so that we're not bitter and calloused. That's why Jesus asks us to pray for our enemies. People who might just see life differently than us, people who you bump into and they just say things about like, wow, look at your shoes. I'm like, what did I do to you, right? And you're like, what's going on? Pray for those people. That allows us to be more like Jesus, not bitter, not callous, not uncaring to those people, are like our enemies. So we pray for them, we begin to grieve for them and, and want good for them. All right, a couple quick things. For those who want to pray and, and, and uh, who don't know how, again, just start. Start praying. Number one, short and awkward is just fine. This is especially true for those, maybe you've never prayed out loud. I want to encourage you in your community groups, uh, if you're huddled up with your, your teams and, and someone's asking you to pray, hey, it's okay. Short and awkward is just fine. Um, you, know, you know, maybe the only people you hear prayer out loud are people like me and other leaders, and we use these big words in our prayers like sanctification, right? Like, you don't need to pray like me. Like, guys, husbands, tonight, when you're in bed, grab your wife's hand, her hand tonight, and say, hey, let's pray. 
And if you don't know what to say, just be like, God, this is awkward. I don't know what to do. But we want to pray together out loud. Amen. Like, that's okay. You can start there. In your communion group, if it's your turn to pray and you're normally like, no, I don't want to pray, just be like, all right, tonight, God, I don't like to pray out loud. Um, so I'm talking to you right now. Amen. Like, that's okay. Just start somewhere. Short and awkward is just fine. Number two, when you're praying in your marriage, pray with each other, not at each other, right? Like, we've all been there, right? Like, dear God, you know, uh, uh, you know, be with Aaron, you know, that he could spend more time with our kids this week, and, you know, I forgive him for uh, forgetting our anniversary last week. Amen. Right? Like, that's not the time to pray at your spouse to tell them things, right? Pray with, not at. Number three, pray together, if you have, with your children. Pray together for your children. For the aunts and uncles in the room, pray together for your nieces and nephews. If you have younger cousins, pray together for your younger cousins. And if you have kids, again, when we pray together as parents, that is showing our kids that you know, they're under our authority. And I know the authority and umbrella and all this weird stuff has come out in fundamentalism, but the reality is, right, our kids are under our authority. And when we pray with our kids, it's showing them that we also are under God's authority. We're under God's authority, and then our kids are under our authority, and we're showing them that, hey, you know, it, it doesn't stop with us. We are under God, and so it teaches them that. And, and, and again, if you feel like, awkward about praying for your kids together or praying with your kids, just, just start, start doing it. And, and you might say, hey, in our marriage, we're not getting along right now. Like, I don't, it's, things are really strained. I'd say, still pray together. You could even pray, God, we're not getting along right now. God, this has been a tough weekend, but we want to pray together. You know, amen. And praying together is intimate. Uh, I'm not making promises, but don't be surprised that when you do develop a greater spiritual intimacy together as a married couple, a lot of times you'll experience greater physical intimacy. Again, guys, I'm not trying to bribe you in this, but it can help that get more connected spiritually. Now, there are some similarities between prayer and sex. Number one, never be critical of your spouse's prayer, right? Same thing, don't be critical. Number two, be spontaneous. And number three, don't go too long without it. This is what we, these are good principles for both prayer and sex in our marriages. So we want to pray together, out loud, on a regular basis. If you miss a day, don't miss two, don't miss three. Are you willing to try this? I think, again, if we can get into this rhythm of praying together, out loud, with our kids, for our kids, for our nieces and nephews, for our younger cousins, like, again, it's going to make a big difference in our lives. And what Jesus says is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Be persistent. That God is not bothered by our persistent, consistent prayers. Again, there are things I've been praying about weekly, if not daily, for six, seven years, and God is not bothered by that. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God is honored by our consistent, persistent prayers, by coming to him again and again. And when the answer is no or later, He's with us in the grief. And what I would say is you need to involve others into that as well. Again, last week, I didn't process my grief and my anger, and it came out in all kinds of sideways way. And so I apologize for that, for any of those who were hit by the shrapnel of that last Sunday. But then this week, I've been able to process with others. And, and, and I reached out to my pastor, Pastor Ben, who ironically was here last Sunday. He, he walked in and I was really, I was like, wow, the one Sunday I, I really don't want to be here. He shows up. 
which is so good, and then we were able to process together on Monday and some others. And so when God says no, when God says later, you have to have that out with Jesus, but also, right, his body, and that's why we're here in community, to say, like, I don't get this. What is going on? What is up? And it's like, I don't know, but I know Jesus is with us in the pain and in the hurt, and God is not bothered by our persistent, consistent prayers. So pray together out loud on a regular basis. And again, I think this is, in some ways, right, this is like the basics, but again, it's, it, these are these fundamentals. And, and in baseball, you, you go back to the fundamentals again and again and again. I know I have to band up, and I know we got some tech weird stuff going on, but it, it's what it is. So let's pray, and I'm going to pray for you all, but not how are you going to pray tonight with your spouse, right? Uh, so let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are here in this place. God, I thank you that you can take it when... Uh, when we're grieving, when we don't understand, when we need to rage or yell or just process, Jesus, you can take it. God, I pray for everyone in here who has that thing that they're asking for, they're hoping for. God, that you'd give us the courage and the hope and the strength to keep being persistent in that, that we know it's about progress, not perfection. God, I pray for all the married couples in here that maybe they've never prayed together on a regular basis out loud, but God, you'd help us all to take that step to just be more consistent in this, to encourage each other spiritually. God, maybe there's someone in this room who've never done that. I pray you'd give them the courage to take that bold step tonight to grab their spouse's hand and say, hey, let's just pray. And just short and awkward, and that's totally fine. God, we want to be a church and a people of prayer. We want to be consistent and persistent because we know there's power in persistence. So God, we, we, we ask all these things in your name. We trust you. We love you. We're so thankful for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to go out of here singing one last song. Uh, and then we're going to fellowship for time with pizza. Um, during this song, too, I think we're going to collect connection cards. And again, I want to encourage you, please fill out those connection cards. Um, put down a prayer request. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too little. Uh, our prayer team will pray over those on Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. If you like your next steps, when you heard Katie talking about the green book, and you're like, what is this green book thing? Um, I think we have 13 disciple makers now, um, a number of us uh, who've gone through this. And again, you're just sitting face-to-face, asking questions. The book we use is called the green book, and it's like chapter by chapter. And the goal is it's going to grow your faith, but also equip you to be a disciple maker. Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples. And a lot of us know that's Jesus' mission for us, but we haven't been trained and equipped in how to make disciples. We think it just kind of randomly happens. So this is one tool, it's not the only tool, on how to help make disciples of others. And so we wanna, we'll equip you so that you then can lead someone through the green book and disciple someone else. If you've never been discipled one-on-one, we wanna give you that gift to be discipled one-on-one and then to train you to disciple someone else one-on-one. And our goal is that every person at Mosaic will be able to disciple at least one other person. Again, you may not be equipped or uh, you may not not be called to disciple 10, 20, 30 people in your life, but I believe all of us are called to disciple at least one person. And so who's that one person, and are you going to be trained and equipped to do that? Um, So again, may you know Jesus is not bothered by persistent prayers, and that when we don't understand... Uh, he's with us in that. Uh, so let's go out of here singing this last song together.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.